Welcome to this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane. With me, as always, is Laura Zatz. Laura, say hello. Hello. Um, today is March 6th, I think. It is March um, 6th. We good. literally just went over uh, that. Yeah, well, you don't have to tell them that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got a fun episode today. We're just going to talk, you know, like we've... Um, we haven't done that in a while. We've had a lot of guests and we've had a lot of news and stuff. And I'm tired of talking about the news. And I think you are too. And it just sounds kind of good to just check in and chat about some stuff. So Let's do it. Um, that'll be fun. But uh, before we do any of that fun stuff, um, why don't you give us the basic rundown? Basic rundown. Wonderful. Well, if you are just joining us, you probably don't know about our special content episodes, which are available for our Patreon subscribers. Our query episode, where we critique queries, imagine that, goes mm-hmm. live this Thursday, March 9th. Also, our first pages episode goes live March 23rd. If you want to submit either your first page or your query, know that we will do that anonymously. And you can submit it to us at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. We'll also, um, someone asked me on Twitter today if we do uh, genres and categories outside the stuff you and I rep as agents. And the answer to that is definitely. Sure do. Um, yeah, no, we'd love if you've got any query of any kind, and we, we'd love to see it. Um, we can certainly talk about the mechanics of it, even if it's not something listed as something uh, Laura and I rep. Same with first pages, yeah. because we both are very familiar and read outside of what we do professionally. Well, and I think a lot of the truths about those, um, you know, how to make a good query and how to write a good first page kind of cut across most genres, you know? Absolutely. Like, it's just writing, so... Um, yeah, no, send it to us even if it's not something you've heard us talk about before. We'd love to see it. Speaking of writing, though, uh-huh. you you have a fun a fun update. <laughs> um, what is it? I don't you know. finished your NaNoWriMo book. <laughs> okay, so I did I did finish my NaNoWriMo book. Um, that's funny for a lot of reasons. The if first, you're not familiar with yeah, NaNoWriMo, yeah, please. That is. Uh, Shorthand for National Novel Writing Month, which, spoiler alert, is in November. Yeah, okay, well, so obviously that is the first funny bit is that this is something you're supposed to do in the month of November, and it is now, um, as we learned, March 6th. Um, but what's funny about it is this was my uh, this was my National Novel Writing Month book in November of 2012, too. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, but you finally did it. I've, I'm finally done, yeah. It's... Uh, it's fun. It's interesting because, I mean, I've never written all the way through a novel before, which I think we're going to talk about here in a little bit. But um, it obviously feels strange to just be, like, done with a draft of something, you know. And, like, I sort of, you know, I set out writing it, like, five years ago. And, like, it just kind of became an event in and of itself to finish, let alone – I like, who knows if it's any good. But, like, you know, I've moved – like, I was thinking about the other day. Like, I've lived in, like, seven different homes – since I started writing this thing. Oh, my God. And you know what I mean? It's just like – so it just kind of became this thing where, you know, I was obviously writing too slowly, like the book of this length. And it's not like some giant epically long thing. It just took me forever because I'm a terrible writer and I have no process and no work discipline outside my own stuff. So That's it was not like, true. You get well, up every morning and try to write. Yeah, but there's a lot of trying in there. And, <laughs> and but, not uh, a lot of writing. But uh, the point – it's just like – and I think – you know, it just felt good to finish it, you know, and obviously now it's like I've been kind of building toward this moment. And a lot of writers who do a lot more writing and are a lot more accomplished than me will certainly know this feeling. But um, the idea of like wanting that finish line so bad and just like trying to get there and trying to get there and trying to get there and then getting there and then being like, all right, well, now I have to like rewrite it and revise it and edit it and do all this stuff. And you, it's like all of a sudden like a brand new deadline like months years out suddenly kind of takes over again um so that's a little demoralizing i'm, I'm working through that have you have you started your <laughs> re, your revisions yet i'm letting it sit i mean i think that's probably good again i don't know the best way to do this at all like There's I no, am as, there is no best way to right. do it there's only the best way to do it for you like i am not, not a um you know i mean we talk from a professional perspective as agents on this show or editors or whatever but like when it comes to writing itself i am certainly not a professional writer you know what i mean like it's like that's as much of a um amateur trying to break in thing that i'm doing as much as a lot of our listeners and a lot of the people sending out queries and stuff like i'm about to dive into the same sections of the 
um, writing communication world that I have claimed to hate on recent episodes. So that'll be fun um, when I'm like, you know, trolling, uh, you know, manuscript wish list and doing things like that, trying to find, you know, my own person to look at me to sell um, to sell the book for you because <laughs> because it you're not allowed as an agent to sell your own book. Oh yeah, well yeah, no, that's that would be absurd. Um, it would wouldn't be. that be funny if I just like made up like a schizophrenic like third person personality and started <laughs> like this project from me like <laughs> um, that'd be kind that of would weird. be that would be really funny yeah I would really like um, that but any, there were years from that anyway because like I have to go back and who write. knows maybe you'll have like I, I mean you're an editor by trade so maybe yeah, maybe the really editing fine. will be easier for yeah, you maybe. than the writing <laughs> but then but then once it happens you got to write another one yeah no it's all very. Um, it's all endless and terrible, and I completely sympathize with all the writers out there who feel like it's endless and terrible because apparently it is. <laughs> That's the right. Tip I don't today. know writing very much about writing a book. Uh-huh. the The last time I truly tried to write a book, yeah. I was eleven years old. Oh, yeah. Well, I want to hear about that. Let's hear. Oh, uh, I wrote one when I was like fourteen, which is like I think even like a worse age for it might be. It things. might but, be. Right, so. Was yours like a sword and sorcery fantasy? Absolutely. It was. Same. What? <laughs> It's all just like vague reinterpretations of like Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings, right? Uh, well, um, no, mine was Tamara Pierce, Diana okay. and Jones, okay. like Robin McKinley, yeah. like all like Sherwood Smith, like that. Yeah. That was for me, right? Um, the most important thing to know about my book that I was writing in sixth grade, I yeah. might have been eleven or tw- I might have been twelve at that point. Who knows? But the most important thing to know is that I was writing it by hand, and I was writing yeah. it in this notebook. It was like the fancy notebook from the fancy like notebook section mm-hmm. of Target. Absolutely. And it had this like blue, <laughs> like square diamond, like square and diamond like hologram pattern on the cover. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was really good. Um, the second most important thing to know about it is that I made my parents take me to Half Price Books and buy me like three different baby name books because the like the internet didn't exist for that at this point. I did that too. I <laughs> That's so funny. I did that too when yeah. I was younger. So yeah. I was like a 12-year-old with like baby name books right. and I right. was sold. So it was basically like this huge quest narrative because to yeah. me there was nothing grander and more exciting than this quest narrative. Right. No, me too. And so my main character was like a sailor or something mm-hmm. and then she like ends up on land and has to like you know, she's, of course, like an amazing, like, sword fighter and, uh-huh. like, yeah. has to, you know, go on this quest and, yeah. and on the way falls in love and blah, blah, blah. And I never really got past the, like, the beginning part and, like, the very beginning of the quest. Right. Um, I got a little demoralized because as I was looking through my baby name book, like, I fell in love with, like – making the names and like the systems and like the mat like all yeah. that shit like making it really yeah. clever and i named my main character Rhea which i thought was like the most beautiful name yeah, yeah, in the yeah. world right. and then my grandmother just like shat all over it <laughs> literally and figuratively because because she was like and my grandma's an author like she oh, yeah so like she has like huh. a bunch of cookbooks and short yeah. story books and like yeah. novels and stuff whatever but she was like <laughs> I was like, my name, my main character is Rhea. And she's like, like diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> so she like literally shat all over it. Oh, and I was like, man. oh. Grandma is the worst beta reader you could Grandma have. was that's, the worst. That's hilarious. Grandma doesn't have the technical abilities to listen to this podcast. So we're just not going to tell her yeah, good. about um, this. I'm, maybe I'll send Grandma my book and she can critique <laughs> it. Um, but so I wrote, um, I wrote two books as a child. Two. Um, yeah, two. Well, one I was a child, and the other I was whatever you call boys who are fourteen, um, which is some sort of creature, I suppose. Um, uh, you, not not like a person, definitely a creature. Yeah, no, not a, definitely not a person. Um, Just a monster. <laughs> so when I was, let's see, I'm, I was really young when this was happening, um, but I remember sitting there at the table, and I, I mean, I must have been like eleven, you know, must maybe even younger. I don't know, but I was young, and I didn't understand typesetting. <laughs> like I okay. didn't, I didn't understand like how books got made at all, and I wish I guess it's probably we should ask Lily about this when uh, the librarian. But like kids interacting with with books, like they don't, you know, what do they know about publishing? You know, it's kind of a silly, you know, no one thinks about that as a kid. You're just thinking about here's a book, and and it's easy to read, right? And so when you think about writing a book, you don't re- you, like you know the idea of like a manuscript like confounded me. Like I thought that writers were people who just sat down and like wrote 
the finished version of the book. Like, I thought they all had really good handwriting. (laughs) (laughs) That's adorable. And so, but so, like, the first thing I did when I wanted to write my book as a kid was I took a scissors and I cut a bunch of pieces of paper in, like, the size of, like, a paperback, you know, because I was like, we got to, like, you know, make it the right size. And then... I like I had just terrible handwriting as a kid. I was one of I those... still have terrible handwriting. Well, no, me too, because especially now that I have I type everything, but like um I I remember getting like super frustrated all the time cuz I was I wasn't using like lined paper cuz there aren't lines on book pages, you know? So I was like writing on a slate. Like I didn't I feel you like just I just wrote it by yeah, hand. Yeah. I remember just like painstakingly writing these books that I thought were going to be like, cuz I I don't know what I thought. Like I figured like Eric Carl was just like writing books over and over and over again, and he was just like giving them to the libraries for people to. That's adorable. <laughs> but so then I, you know, I figured that out, and I grew up. Into that was the, step number one. That was step number one of my uh, illustrious publishing career was sitting at the kitchen table with a scissors and a ruler trying to write um, lines. But then I got to be about fourteen, and I became I became a serious novelist. <laughs> I shouldn't have snorted and, that. And so I bought my, um, I bought a notebook as you did. I didn't, I didn't go with the uh, the frills though. I was more of a. Um, I was a twelve year old girl. Of course, right, I right. had frills. Right. So I just had because my the my primary goal of writing uh, the notebook I had was to make sure that my parents didn't find it. You know what I mean? Oh, see, I told everybody that well, so, I was writing. Well, so did I, but I didn't want them to read it. Uh. So, like, I had um, – <laughs> I just bought, like, the most innocuous school notebook I could find. I was like, I'll just hide it in here, and I, like, hid it under my bed, you know? And it wasn't like anything was – it wasn't you know, like – You know, like, other 14-year-old boys do that with porn? <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> and you well, did this raised, with your sword and sorcery novel? Pornography would have been inconceivable. Um, so <laughs> – <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, no, I, I hid my uh, sword and sorcery novel under my bed that I was writing, and um, dirty little secret. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, I became instantly insufferable as soon as I started writing. I had told every, I just suddenly became like detached and aloof from every. I'd be like at the dinner table, and they'd be like, "Eric, why aren't you talking?" I'd be like, "I'm thinking about my novel." You know what I mean? Like I'd be like super. I was the most pretentious little 14-year-old novelist you've ever met in your life. It was, it was... I I remember taking my notebook on yeah. the plane. Yeah. And like yeah. having the stranger woman in the row like be like, "What are you writing?" And I was like, I would like flip my hair right, and right. be like, "I'm writing a book." Uh-huh. And yeah, yeah, so that was that was fun. So I'm interested you wrote a quest narrative too. And so did I. And I don't to tell you the truth, I don't remember much about it. But it did involve. I never like, got that far. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, exactly. I was all. I like spent like my. I had to spend all the time like describing the world. I was like one of those world builder, fourteen year olds. You know where I had yeah. to like describe everything. Because I'll tell you why. Because yeah, I grew up with video games, right? Oh yeah. And like uh, you, you play these games, and the thing that always gets me with those, or at least they did at that age. Was they're just so colorful and pretty to look at, you and know you just I mean? want to do that. See, right, I just, exactly. I, I just wanted stop, to like be in that space. As I couldn't a writer. stop describing food. Hmm. Yeah, because like I read a lot yeah. of classic yeah. fantasy. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I wrote this. Um, I guess the opening descriptions of a of a quest narrative, and then immediately like uh, ran into issues like plot. You know, yeah, plot and characterization, <laughs> and got completely like bewildered and frustrated and. Um, so that that was the end of that until I guess I got to college. And then um, you wrote this book that you actually well, actually I wrote, this, wrote. I wrote this after college. Like I, so I I was a one of those writing major kids, right? You uh, were a short story. Yeah, no, guy. I, I wrote a lot of short stories, um, and they're out there in the world. Like you can you can find them. Um, but um, I, yeah, so I wrote all short stuff, and then I got to the end of college and was like, well, I graduated the short story. You know what I mean? Like I had like. Moved on, like I had my degree in writing, <laughs> and that meant that I no longer had to write short fiction. Um, so I started on the novel, right? Like the week after graduation, I was like, you know, job hunting and like um, working on this novel. And I was like, this will go quick. I'll have it all, you know, I'll have it done. But I had it was all in terms of age, right? Like when you're in your early twenties, everything is based on how old you are. Maybe you don't know that feeling, but I, um, you are, you are like six months older. No, than I know, me. I know. But like, well, what I'm saying though is like when you're that age. Everything you like, everything is so comparative, 
it feels like a I don't know like I'll have it done when I the time I'm 23 I'll have it published by the time I'm 24 I'll make yep. the New Yorker 30 under 30 list when I'm 26 like you uh, know <laughs> you were you know insufferable yeah, of course I was I mean that was that was only like three you know that was only a few years ago <laughs> like You're still it's, insufferable. yeah there's there's plenty of reason to think I'm still insufferable um but yeah no so I started right then I thought it was going to be this straight shot because I was really prolific um, in college like I was really good and like, then life down. happened yeah no and that, exactly and then just adulthood just kicked me in the ass <laughs> <laughs> and so it took um, you know forever and I I mean one thing about this book is um, I have no idea how long it is. Because it's all every chapter is in a different I word every, document. I wrote all the chapters in different word docs, so which that seems can, crazy to me. It, yeah, but. I just I I don't know why I did that, but I did, and so I haven't like collated it together yet. So I I think it's like around a hundred thousand words somewhere in there. So it's like it's like a longish book, but it's not like it's some giant like gargantuan book. Um, but yeah, it took me five years to even get this first draft done, and it's like. You know, there were, like, long bouts of being, like, well, it's too embarrassing how long this took, so I'm just going to quit doing it. And I would, like, set it down for months at a time. I have an important question for you. Now that you have spent five years writing a book, do you have more sympathy for George R.R. Martin? (laughs) I do. I have a ton of sympathy for George R.R. Martin. I feel like he's getting Everyone shafted. just like, yeah, everyone just um, shits all over that him. Guy about, made, like, that guy invented literally the most popular thing in America right now, and everyone now loves it and now is mad at him for not giving them more of it, and it seems a little unfair. But that's a, that's a side note. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, I feel like um, it's such a nonlinear process. Like, you know, you calcul- I'm a big, like, calculator. You know, like, I'm like, if I write 1,000 words a day, this 80,000-word novel will be done in 80 days. <laughs> it's like, That's it's, less than three months. Yeah, exactly. It's like that is just not how it works. Um, I learned very quickly. Um, and writers much better than me, I'm sure, are laughing at me for thinking in the first place. Um, but, yeah. We're, like, delusional. <clears throat> well, and so that was the thing. And, like, we're going to talk here in a minute about – like getting into publishing and what that meant to us. And for me, a huge part of it was I want to be like, because everyone tells, when you're a writing major or an English major or whatever it is, they immediately tell you all the time that there's no jobs. You know, you can never get a job doing Except for Teach stuff. for America. Exactly. Yeah. Except for, yeah, being a teacher of some sort, which is a perfectly wonderful thing to do, but I'd be terrible at it and I wanted to um, write stuff. So um, I was like, all right, well, what's the closest thing to being a writer? And I was like, I'm going to be in publishing. Like, that's why I got into publishing, not because I had some grand vision of editing books or – and I guess I liked the idea of all that or, like, you know, publishing stuff or being in the industry or working in some New York office. Um, It was – I wanted to do the closest thing I could find to writing, you know. So it all – like, my all my decisions, like, in my early 20s were based on this idea that – I was going to eventually just transition into being the writer. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I'm like accidentally now a lot of things that aren't a writer, um, though I guess I still kind of – I mean everyone's a writer if you're writing something. But like – You're a writer, um, yeah. I'm all these other things now that kind of work with writers. But um, it's like my whole career in life just sort of happened like by accident because – I, because uh, you wanted to be writing because, adjacent. Exa- exactly. Like, and I guess that's why. So one thing I think we're going to talk about right now, um, which I'm interested to hear from you on, is so I asked Laura today um, to come up with some myths that she believed about publishing before she got into it. And which of those have been shattered, which of those have been upheld, if there have been any surprises that have um, come up to her about the industry that you weren't expecting, you know, basically like just a little moment of, um, you know, you've worked in the industry now as of I for, you know, some years now. And it's like, what were you expecting and what is the reality? Like, like let's, you know, we've spent all this time talking about sort of the, um, you know, the fantasies we were writing, you know, as kids. And now it's kind of like, which in a way, how was our life a fantasy? In a, way, in a way, getting into publishing is its own sort of fantasy, right? Yeah. Because there's so much stuff. It really is. That... I mean, when I when I was seven years old, yeah. So a little bit of like background yeah. about me is that um, when I was two and a half, my parents uh, had twins, so they had three children under three, and I learned to read really early, right around the time that my brother and sister were yeah. toddlers. 
And so my parents would just like give me books Mm -hmm. like because like, please just like sit in the corner and be quiet. So so like my whole life, I just had this insane access to books and I and I loved reading because I also like wasn't a super exciting child either. Um, And so I remember like being like seven and going around and telling people like when people would ask, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And people say like doctor, astronaut or firefighter, farmer or whatever. I would say I want to be a book editor. Hmm. I had no idea what it meant except for that, like, I love to read books. And I thought that that was – that's what that was. Yeah, which I didn't is, know that people edited books until I was, like, 18. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. like, my – I mean, I – my my parents definitely – I don't know how I learned that. I think I had – like, I have a lot of people in my family that are writers right. in various parts of writing. Right. So, like, I have a lot of magazine writers and I've got, you know, yeah. my grandma's an author. So, like, I, I – you know, I grew up around <clears throat> book publishing. So – you know, originally I was, you know, I want to I want to be a book editor because I read a lot. Mm. And, you know, that came and went as I was like a rebel teenager and whatever. But, you know, as I was as I was getting ready to to graduate from college and, and go to, you know, go go find work, I was I was applying to be an editor. And, you know, for through very fortuitous turn of events, I ended up in agenting and. Here's what I've kind of learned. Yeah. Like, I do way more reading than uh-huh. editors do. Yes. So, yes, you do. Like, so, like, I I thought that being an editor was the best. You know, you just sit at your desk and you edit books all day and you do whatever. And, and you know, like, yeah. that's not what editors do. No, that's not at all what editors <clears> do. They <throat> do a bunch of – that's what I learned as soon as I got on that path. As I thought the same thing, even, like, as I was – in the job, like as an editorial assistant, You're I was like, like, why am I not editing? Because like, I got in and we'll get into some of my myths here in a second, too. But like, yeah, no, I was the editorial assistant and you end up um, and I guess, yeah, here. So that kind of ties into what my first like myth that I believed going in up until I got in there, which is that publishing work is creative all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is not, spoiler alert. Um, it's a lot of, especially at the entry level, it's a ton of, it's very rote. It's very administrative. There's a lot of, you know, I mean, at least everybody the places, needs an ISBN. It's, it's, it's a lot of, it's very corporate in certain places. You know, it's kind of, um, and more importantly than that, they don't care if you're creative in a lot of instances. Like, so I'm working as an editorial assistant at uh, Oxford University Press at the time, and I'm doing just, you know, all the things that, EAs have to do, you know, manuscript formatting, you know, getting things ready, um, emailing authors, you know, mailing books, um, various handling of the submission process, um, I don't, you know, cover art research, all the very, like, basic things that happen in publishing. Um, and I was just like, as soon as I get to be an editor, as soon as I get promoted, I'm going to leave all this behind and it's going to be just um, – I was like, you know, because all the editors always had their doors closed, right? So I was always assuming they were just like in there away – Reading books uh, yeah, and Away editing. from the trash, like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like just editing and reading and it turns out that is certainly not the so case. So what were they doing with their doors closed? <laughs> yeah. Great question. Um, no, um, Contracts. A lot of contracts, a lot of um, just kind of – yeah, deal acquisitions and deals and um, I guess, you know, it is a lot more reading. Like it's just um, – delineating work to me, you know. <laughs> like, Which takes uh, a long time. Yeah. Um, so I was really, like, taken aback. And I think that that's the thing. Like, a lot of people, I think publishing is filled with people at the entry level. And I am one of these people. Like, I'm going to call these people wrong, but I was one of them who, like, really kind of have this starry-eyed vision of how – like literary it's going to be and literary as in like you're just going to sit around and think about ideas and all talk day. about books yeah. and you're be around like, people who yeah, are also yeah. talking about books yeah you're going to drink a bunch of coffee and like sit around and you know in like beautiful mahogany offices and lots of cardigans yeah <laughs> well there were a lot of cardigans i <laughs> i made sure i've supplied the cardigans before <laughs> the office uh, you do have a plus sweater um, game so um well, that was that was the thing. Like a lot of my morale was tied to that the dress. Like you know, it's like <clears throat> I came in those first few days and I was like Mister Snappy New York dresser coming from somewhere else. And then like as like I realized that my job was basically to like send emails all day. Like I like you know jeans twice a week all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and then I quit coming in so early. And then, <laughs> um, yeah, so that was good. Um, but yeah, it's and the thing with creative work in publishing that I found that I found almost cruel in its own way. Um, that it does is that the you know a lot of the people the higher ups understand that about the people coming in they understand that they are there because everybody thinks they are the great literary um, editing mind and they just and, don't care and it's not that they don't it's worse than that they don't care they use it the availability of that work as an incentive you know and I guess in a way that's okay but it's like the very prospect of, for instance, getting to edit a book, you know, having your the editor you work for, you know, actually let you be the one to work with the author on the book. Like that gets held in front of you as like, you know, if the first six months go well and you do – if you do all these things, then I'll let you edit a book or I'll let you, you know, make – I'll let you maybe acquire something a year in, you know, something that – is mine, but we, you know, you can do all the work. Like that's the other thing. <laughs> it's like you know, you don't get actual credit for any of that stuff. Like you, you like might be in the acknowledgments. Yeah, exactly. Um, and all that, and that's a trade you're willing to make because again, you're sitting there just sending emails all damn day. Yeah. And like sifting through permissions and doing all this stuff, and like so they just offer like your your percep your the perception you came in with they give you little glimpses of it along the way to like keep you motivated like a you know, little carrot in front of you <laughs> like and and i it sounds very like cruel and it's it's not i mean i get it like the, then, a lot of publishing has a lot of paperwork like it's oh God. it's a book publisher like there's a ton of stuff and someone has to do it and it's going to be the assistant level people but um those people, it always hurts more because those people are always the ones who are the least ready to deal with that kind of stuff. Or like they thought they were going to be doing something totally different. And, and they, then they're not. Yeah. I remember, um, you know, like you're always given these tasks as kind of like the lower level people. You're yeah. always given these tasks that you're like, I'm, I, this is my chance to like be creative and like make yeah. my mark. I remember I was, I was an editorial intern at Learner, which is a yeah. children's book publisher, yeah. like academic and trade. And I was given – there was a six-book series and the first three books were already out or something or they were coming out that season and I was working on the next season and they were the you know the next three books. And it was like a middle grade whatever and it, you know, it was very – like it was like a summer camp thing. I think it might have been a graphic novel, like very formulaic, like whatever. And I was like – I looked at the first three and I was like, now's my chance to like make it exciting and like yeah. make it fresh. And right. so I like spent hours because when you yeah. first write like back cover copy or yep. like flap copy or whatever, like <laughs> yeah. it's so hard. You and like then bleed on it. Yeah. It, yeah. And yeah. then and then like now I can do it in like 20 minutes. Right. But like back then I spent like hours making them like different but consistent and whatever. And I just got an email back from the editor, like not even like with my name or anything. And they're like okay, thanks, but can you, like, follow the format? And I had to strip out <laughs> I had to strip out all yeah. of the originality from That's it. That's the thing. Is you, get, you get, like, a lot of times, like, and this is fair, too. Once Like, you get your assistant who's, like, a free-thinking person, and they're, like, ready to make the book theirs, and you're like, no, 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 like, we need this a certain way. Nope. Um, but, <laughs> like, a lot, of, a lot of the time, like, that impulse, and this is a problem with publishing, I think, and we've talked about some of the problems that happen in entry-level stuff. But that impulse to be creative and, like, pour in some originality and show some free spirit um, and really, like, critically think about the work, um, that gets penalized or that gets, like, decentivized, like, pretty quick. Yeah. And and it's, like, basically taking everything that is talented or educated or good about the person you've hired and, like, just telling them not to use any of it. I mean, that's even true for, like, queries for writers. You know, like, I don't want anything that's not outside the structure. Yeah. It's like you don't – you're not – you're not proving anything, you know. In fact, you're proving that you aren't – you can't follow the rules, (laughs) which is, like, it's such a more, like, uh, regimented space, I think. And so – But that's really where the books – begin to be so much more important though. Oh, exactly. Because as you exactly. realize that the industry is just like every, like you know, just like a toilet paper company yep. or yep. you know, like an advertising co- or whatever, like it's all the same except for the product. Well, that, and that's what makes yeah. it really special. Okay, so um well, let's talk about that special because I'm looking at um one of your listed things here on our sheet. Oh, um, the first one? Yeah. So, okay, so this is a here myth. Um, here's also something to know about me. I am a book buyer, always yeah. have been, always will be. Yeah. 
You know, like I'm a I'm a rereader, so I like to like have my books and I like to hoard them like Gollum and like right. nobody better touch them unless right. they're from my free shelf and right. then they ran it past me. Right. Um, and so when I was younger, I had this thing where like I had to finish a book. Like I didn't care if it was a slog or yeah. like whatever because I was committed to it and I wanted to say I had read it and I want all of the books on my shelf to be books that I had read, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. before that, you know, before I became an adult and like life happened and I actually yeah. had time to, you know, read all of the books on my shelf. Um, and so I would read everything. And there was there was really only like two or three books that I like truly hated up until, you know, mm-hmm. I, you know, hit my 20s. Yeah. You know, and because you, you can have such selective attention. Yeah. Like you, can, you only have to pay attention to the books you like. Yeah, well, I, see, I would I would always read the books, but I was, I, you know, I was good at purchasing them. I, yeah. you know, I was I was good at all of that. Yeah. And then when I started, you know, when I started working, and this was something that came, became abundantly clear when I joined Red Sofa, because you know, as an editor, you're already, you know, in editorial, you're working on books that have like already been bought. You right. know, books that um, aren't yours. Books that aren't mine. But but I. When I started working for Red Sofa and Dawn, who's the owner of the agency, had me going through her slush pile, it was really hard for like the first few months because I would start reading a book or like, I, you know, and it would be terrible. Right. It would be terrible. And then I would, you know, like feel like I had to keep reading. Yeah. Which, you know, and that like it broke yeah, me because I had quick. because yeah. I had never not finished a book. Right. I had never not finished a yeah. book. And then all of a sudden I realized that it was a necessity for this job. And it like just I, this is this might sound crazy, but just like realizing that not all books are good. Yeah. Like like shattered my <laughs> worldview. Because okay. like before there were books that like yeah. I didn't love, but I could like see the merit in them. Okay, so I've got I want I wrote something very similar down here. Um and I'm gonna read it to you, like one of the myths about publishing that has since been shattered for me, and it goes like this. Everyone who has published is really smart and has written a great book and deserves their book deal and is thrilled just to be published. Absolutely not true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A lot of authors are assholes and they're not very smart and they get a lot some of – Some of the books are terrible. And some of the books are terrible and were given to them for a lot of reasons that have nothing to do whether with whether or not they're good at um, – Writing personally, and I that. <laughs> since I joined this industry, I've been very disappointed by celebrity memoirs. Yeah, well, yeah. So there's a lot of stuff like that, but like, um, even like at Oxford, where I was working, a lot of those authors, um, you know, everyone who's an author there is really smart. Like these are people who have high up academic positions usually, but a lot of them aren't writers. Like the idea of having like your author be a trained writer is very rare at a university press a lot of like a lot of the time because you're getting people who are experts and stuff. And so like I worked on science and science history and like things like that. And so you'd get really great scientists, you know, people who were like I we had a couple guys who were um really just the top like biology minds in the world. They were doing some of the most incredible research you um and I always geek out about that stuff. Please someone send me a science book for God's sake. No one ever sends me science as an aside. Um but anyway. But they um, were terrible writers. But they were terrible writers. Um because they never wrote they've never written I mean they wrote like academic papers, but they didn't have any idea how to like tell their story to someone who wasn't their close professional colleague. <laughs> and not only that, they had like no like bedside manner, you know, they had no like they didn't care about any of the things you expect authors to care about. They just, um, you know, like we'd like show them covers, and I would have spent all this time like finding the perfect art, and they would just they were like, eh, yeah, they just don't. You talk, know, talk to me about the footnotes. It, no, honestly, like that would be the thing. It's like, well, what about the references and stuff? Like what you know, and it's just stuff I just didn't care about at all. Um, and then you know, I mean, you get to other presses and people get deals for um, various reasons. Uh, maybe they they personally are sellable, or maybe they have some relationship with the press or something. Um, but like the idea of every author's book being like some dream come true for them that they're just like happy to be here and they've worked their whole life to have it. Like it, <laughs> it fell apart pretty quick, and it makes those people who are who that is true for a real joy to work with um, because um, you know it just makes it's more fun when you're working with someone who's like 
gifted and happy to be there. And, and just, like, so pleased that they have a publicist and an editor. All that kind of stuff. And even if they're, like, really sharp and have like high expectations or something, like, just someone who takes it seriously on a publishing level and isn't just, like, some curmudgeon who you, like, feel like you're inflicting yourself upon them every time you ask them a question. That really is um, a joy. And that's something that we as agents, like, we don't have to work with that. curmudgeons. There's a lot more of that. Because uh, as an, it's like you were saying as an editor – um, you end up working on a lot of books that you didn't make the decision to take on. And so a lot of those people you don't get along with, you don't really like. Sometimes you really hate the book. Like I remember <laughs> – this is bad to admit. Um, there were a lot of times where the editor I worked for at Oxford, I didn't necessarily agree with his taste all the time. And there were days when he would send me the materials for a book and he, he worked remotely. He lived in a different state. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was the one in the office who kind of represented the list and did all that kind of stuff. And a lot of the books that he had me work on, um, I just personally didn't find very interesting or and often didn't understand why anyone would find them very interesting. <laughs> um, and so – and he would say, OK, go pitch this to the ed board meeting. And I would have to go to these editorial board meetings not care. And I would be the only – first of all, because he wasn't around, I was the assistant pitching on behalf of an editor. So I was the only assistant talking in the room amidst all these other like very high up people. So I was already like a little self-conscious and embarrassed you know, to be up there. And then on top of that, I was pitching books a lot of the time that I thought were just garbage. <laughs> and so I'm like up there like giving like – trying to give enthusiastic spiels because it was my job about something that I just thought wasn't good. And so like eventually I got like salty about it and, you know, our publisher would like ask follow-up questions like, um, you know, questions that I had maybe asked the editor. And he would <laughs> – you know, I started doing this thing where I was trying to like make it clear through like coded language that – I, too, was wondering that about the book, like, when someone would ask me a question. like, Of course you would. Like, when they, you know, like, when, some, yeah, I got real petty with it. Um, like, you know, one of, some other editor would, like, ask, well, who's going to buy this? Like, who's the readership for this book? And a lot of the time, I'd just be like, you know, that's a really good question. <laughs> as, <laughs> as, like, code for saying, I don't, I don't have a fucking idea who's going to buy this book. I think and it's no, terrible. And you don't think anybody will. Yeah. Um, and they kind of, yeah. So, it, but, like, the point of that anecdote is that, you end up working on a lot of stuff that you don't love. And so that brings me to a very – a myth of mine mm-hmm. that I feel is pretty specific to people who have worked in at academic presses or maybe even like upmarket nonfiction presses, uh, which is that trade publishing and fiction publishing is basically Hollywood. Um, I assume <laughs> – okay. Yeah, no, I – when you're at an academic press, everybody there – that's not true. Most people there – are dying to be in trade publishing. They want to work on they want to work on novels, they want to work on all this stuff because they view like fiction publishers as the complete antithesis of all the things they hate about their job. Like they think that everyone all the authors are fun, they think that everyone is just having a good time. It's just one big laugh thing where everyone's just like being all breathy about whatever bit of fiction they're working on. Except for and, the fact that Fiction presses don't make nearly as much money, so exactly. they're always, like, really stressed yeah, yeah. out. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, but, like, you sit there at the, you know, and, like, Oxford is, uh, you know, and real quick, like, I talk about Oxford a lot in my experience there. And I, you know, as an assistant, I'm sure it would have been sort of an angsty uh, assistant existence anywhere I was. But I really like Oxford University Press. and sometimes, You talk about them all the and time. And sometimes I say things like they had this, like, cubicle layout that made me feel like I was suffocating in corporate culture. And I want that to just be about the corporate culture and not about the fact that I dislike the press because I don't. Um, but you sit there in those cubicles in like this gray room and be like – like you were saying, I might as well be like selling paper products, you know. Like who – and I guess technically. Technically <laughs> you I, are. <laughs> now, that I think, now that I think about it. Um, you are selling paper yeah, products. Um, but – and you just assume like like at you 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 would just have like fantasies about like what people at HarperCollins are doing right now, and it, it was they're all doing like, the same yeah, thing. Yeah, no, and it was all like eating cheese and like talking about novels. And I was like, those are my two favorite things, right? And I assumed that's what people did for their jobs, and yeah. that that somehow was paying them enough to like live in Manhattan and like. I mean, um, technically, you and I could like cut up a block of cheddar right now, and that this could. is our job. We could, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we we could achieve that dream. Um. Yeah. So. I have a positive. Oh, yeah. No, well, uh, yeah, I, I have some positives too, but let's hear one. Okay. So 
kind of something that I was originally really pessimistic about. And then as I got further into this job, became really optimistic about. Mm. Um, the first book that I fell in love with from the slush pile yeah. as as like an assistant yeah. to an agent, um, we lost. Mm. Like because it got an offer before Don yeah. had the opportunity to read it. Yeah. And I was gutted. <laughs> I was gutted. No, I I, feeling, I, yeah. I was like, this was an amazing book and, you know, all this stuff. Um, and it, it was about, like, genius octopuses, yeah. octopi, okay. octopodes. So, I sounds don't know. good. <laughs> um, I don't know. It was a middle grade book and it was charming as hell. Uh -huh. And I was, like, gutted. I was like, I don't understand, like, how am I supposed to find another book that's this good? And, like, I still lose out on books often. Right. You know, I lost Everybody out does, on, like, yeah. three in a row. Right. Um. But the farther I get into this, like, the more I realize is that, like, losing out on something like this isn't terrible because it means that, like, somebody else loves it and then it can still get there. But then it also leaves you room for another book yeah. that maybe nobody and else would have noticed. And book. there's always <laughs> another book. And that sounds, like, kind yeah. of callous, you know, for some for some writers perhaps that might seem kind of, you know, it, it might seem kind of unfeeling to say, like, well, well, I lost you. I guess there's an, always another book. No, it hurts but, like, like hell. But it and hurts then, but like then hell, you feel like, but that's right, like, like, yeah, yeah, because there's so much possibility yeah. in this job, like from yeah. the editorial side and from the agent side and whatever. And it's like, it's like you're treasure hunting, and it's like when you find something amazing, even if you yeah. don't get it, like that that feeling never gets less exciting. Right. That finding that really amazing book that's always great, and I never thought that it would be that good. Hmm. That's a good so one. That, yeah. Um. Let's see here. What's another good one to go to? Here we go. Um, this kind of relates to what I was talking about. And honestly, like this, this is the myth that I think that I based so many of my decisions on early. And I was dead wrong. And I still somehow like all the decisions. Like it was like a terrible <laughs> thought process, but it still kind of put me right in. Right decision. Yeah. Um, so here it is. Everyone in publishing loves to write, and being in publishing would be good and complementary to my writing life and would help my writing career. Absolutely not. It is definitely not. Like, I guess, like, I've met people, you know, like, I I guess, like, learning how to really edit on a professional level is good. And, like, I've met, you know, I know some people in the publishing industry now, but, like, it, <laughs> a lot of people, in, like, I sort of assumed that everyone in publishing was, like, also, like, just a novelist biding their time until they, like, got their book deal and then they just became that instead, which is a good – like, I thought that was the case. And it's a good thing that it isn't the case because it would leave a lot of people not very devoted to their jobs in publishing and would kind of undersell a lot of very it good – It happens every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. But... Well, so, yeah, no, it's – but it's a really, really rare thing. And I was like – I – again, like, I made all my decisions based on wanting to go – be a writer, but also have a job that let me be a writer, you know? And I was like, I'll be in publishing and everyone will totally understand that I want to do this other stuff. And no one understands that. And it didn't, it hasn't helped my writing in that way, um, really, because you exhaust yourself thinking, like when you- Creatively, it, I mean this- And you have, it, yeah. you have it written down here. It says, you know, reading won't feel like work as one of your, um, you know, myths. And I think that's a really good one for this too, because- when you spend all day staring at words on a page and trying to fix other people's and trying words. to fix other people's words, it uniquely tires you out for wanting to do that yourself. You know, on your own time. I've never and watched more TV than when, exact, I've, when no, I've done I this know, job, and I feel weird about it. Like sometimes I never used to watch television. I didn't even have a television for years. Right, and so like, I sometimes I think like I like look at a month. I'm like, hmm, I haven't read as many like books this month. You know, I feel and I feel kind of lazy about it. But then it's like, wait a second. Yes, I have. I've read like many, many, many books. I just do it for work and it feels like work. And it expressly makes me not want to do literary stuff away from my job. And it's, yeah, no, I mean, I thought, so I really, really thought that like being an editor was somehow going to like inform my writing life and make me a better writer. And I guess, you know, maybe after all this time, we'll see. I mean, we'll I am. be able to talk I about am, your agenting process, yeah. like as you get an agent and get I your am book a, published. Like I am about to, I guess, like edit a manuscript I wrote finally. Um, and supposedly after years of doing this, I'm better at that than I was. So I guess that's useful. But at the same time, like um, I would have been better 
at being like I had a friend, and this there's such a great case study here. I have a friend who is a brilliant writer. He's a couple years younger than me, and he, after college, like he was winning everything. Really, one of those like special college writers who everyone thought was gonna like write one the, of those. Right, yeah, write the great American novel as soon as he got out, of, like that sort of thing. And he went. He was a valedictorian of his class, um, and he went immediately after school and went and became a baker. I'm so jealous about that. No, he's a baker in our small little college town of Galesburg, Illinois. And, like, everyone just started him perplexed, right? Because, like, what? Like, because there's such this like, ambition when you get out of school, especially for literary types. They all want to, like, get into whatever magazine or book publisher. You're going to go change the and world. He, yeah, exactly. He's like, I'm going to go be a baker. And now all those same people have worked. But he's, like, got, you know, I talk to him now and he's just, like, so serene and has been, like, <laughs> Working, you know, and he and he's writes just been so like, much. Yeah, he just writes so much and he's been working so steadily at this stuff. And he's like, I don't know, man. Like, it's sometimes I wonder, like, maybe, you know, like you and I talk a lot and I have that expression, you know, I should have been a welder or something. Like, when <laughs> it's I, always a welder. Yeah, yeah. Whenever I read something really, really, like, really crushingly good and I, I get like mad about it at first. And I think that anger that I feel, and I know a book is good if I'm mad at it. Um, I think it comes from that sort of latent jealousy of feeling like I like should have separated myself more from the book world so that I could approach it from the writing side more than I wanted. And I love the like right now like like I said like I accidentally ended up doing a bunch of stuff like the agenting. I love it. I love it to death. I'm going to do it forever. It's the best job in the world, but um it was not what I originally set out to do. And there's still kind of that latent feeling. It's like, man, maybe I could have written a book like that if I just was something else, you know? Sometimes and, I dream about, like, yeah. working in a coffee shop. So yeah, that not, exactly. Not, right. not even that, right. so I can quit agenting. It's right. just so that I can have a structured part of my day that isn't creative. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that, like, like, I can have money but then, like, have more energy and, like, more, you know, right. whatever right. to – Right to to go do more agent stuff. So like I don't even want a different job. I, I just still I dream about being a barista. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we talk about um, that a lot, actually. Yeah, no, I mean it's uh, <laughs> um, it's just interesting how being professionally close to something can make you less personally close to something. And I guess like lately, um, you know that was it was really hard in New York City. I was much more like. I don't know, stressed out and depressed and all New that York kind of stuff. New York is awful. It's, it's an awful place. Sorry to everyone <laughs> listening who loves New York City. It's not an awful place, but I'm glad I don't live there anymore. Um, it's awful for some people that live there. Yeah, it was not a right the right fit for me. Um, but I don't know where I was going for that. I got so mad at New York City in that moment. I forgot what we were saying. <laughs> That's okay. Um, but, but, like, I just – yeah, no, I, I just think, like um, – but I, since I've moved out here um, – you know, I've, I have gotten, like, in a better rhythm with writing as evidenced by actually having finished the damn thing. Um, and so I feel, like, a little better about, like, my own writing life as it relates to my work life because I'm able to separate it better and I can kind of plan out my days a little more uh, carefully and such. But, like, it has been a really wonderful impediment to my writing life. You know what That's I mean? That's a nice way to put it. You know what I'm a saying? A wonderful impediment. Yeah, like, I love my job. And, like, I, the authors I work with, um, they – like, I care on a really, really visceral – like, I like their books like I like mine. You know what I mean? And um, – but it has not – like, my work life has not helped my writing at all. And I've had to, like, work in spite of that on that stuff. And I, fi- I find that interesting in a lot of ways. Which but, is okay. No, it's totally fine. It's just a totally – it's a it's just a different – it's a different uh, thought process. Um, let's see. Um, so I guess the last one – that I have in terms of myths that got shattered um, is that everyone is happy to be there and romanticizes books like you do, um, which I have found to be starkly untrue. Um, And again, this as a starry-eyed entry-level publishing person, I found it really strange that someone would want to just treat their job like their job, you know? Like not everyone. It still feels strange. Like sometimes I treat it like that, and then I catch myself, and I'm like, "What are you doing?" Well, that's what I mean. Like I, and that, I think I find that to be a weird trait in publishing. I think it it kind of gets in the way of productivity a lot of the time. Like everyone wants everything to be this like creative moment of self expression, when sometimes it's like the answer is just to get the job done, you know. And sometimes you just gotta like. Move. Sometimes you just got to power through that edit. You got to just move the unit along the assembly line, you know, 
And um, I think that publishing people probably have the hardest uh, time with that bit of the process because we're all – not all of us, but a lot of us are um, people who have never thought like that. You know, we spent our college drinking coffee and reading poetry and writing things. and But also because the product is never finished. Yeah. Like, you, you know, you can't finish building it like building a car and then be like, well, I can't add any more bells and whistles. Time to, you know, pass it along. It's finished when like, someone says it's finished. Like yeah. you can always do more yeah. to a book. Yeah. You can always make it better. Yeah. Which, you, you know, you can always make it fit a little bit more for their audience. You can always tweak the cover a little bit. You right. can always, right. you know, you can always, you can always, you can always. Mm-hmm. Which is also hard. Like, knowing knowing when to say, okay, good enough, Yeah, I think, is an interesting experience. And so, But so those people, what's interesting about it is the people who treat publishing like it's their job and aren't, like, romantically obsessed with the nature of books or at least can like tone it down when need be. They're so good at it. Those are the people who run publishing houses. Those are the people in charge, the ones who can take all the other creative little butterflies and put them in a row and say, do your jobs. Like those are the ones who get to do that. Like it's, you know, the people who run publishing houses are, they probably, I mean, how could you not love, you know, books that way, you know, to have reached, to have been able to like have the energy to reach that point. But like those are people who think really, really pragmatically and talk to you like they're often like a publisher more often than not is someone reeling in, you know, editors, mm-hmm. you know, like an editor has some crazy ass idea for a series or for something they think is going to be awesome. And it's the publisher's job to sit there, you know, in the room and say, well, how are we going to sell this? What are we going to make it cost? Like who's going to buy it? What like how expensive is it going to be to make? Um, and, you know, the pragmatic thinkers like those are the ones who run this. You know, I feel like that's. Like the one running the publishing house is not the one who is like the best editor or the most creative person or the one with the best literary eye. Those things are important and those can get you pretty far. But like eventually that – You got to – it's got to be a job. You got to be able to move it along the assembly line and you have to be able to separate and understand that. And um, I didn't for a long time and who knows if I do now. Um, but – I have to actively push myself in that direction a lot of the time just because I love like I love to just sit around and come up with ideas all day. Um, but it's a good balancing act. Yeah, no, it is. Um, and I think publishing is a is a field with a unique chance for that. But um, yeah, if it's not clear, we absolutely love this business and our jobs. I well, think it's clear. I, I know. I, I think, think it's, it's clear. clear. It's just it was interesting. You know, we started talking about you know that. I kind of been thinking about it, you know, having finished that book, not because the book itself that I wrote is any good or important or anything, but it is, it kind of has informed a lot of my like professional decisions that that have nothing to do with the book itself, but somehow still like, you know what I mean? Like I wanted to leave New York City when I stopped feeling like I was able to sit down and write every day. Oh, that's You know what I mean? And it was like, and obviously I was making a move from one non-writing job to another non-writing job but the writing always even as it hasn't really amounted to much or anything yet it's kind of informed the decisions I've made along the way in a field that like we've said is sort of in the way it's like a really I don't know for me so I was feeling like reflective this week about this kind of stuff because um I don't know. You're at a crossroads, and maybe yeah. I mean I might. I feel like I'm really not. Like I said, like no. I finished something, you know, and now yeah. I have to go edit it, and I have to do all <laughs> the things that writers hate doing. And but you, um, but you have the opportunity to to work yeah. that in. So, so we'll see. Speaking of of writing a lot and being very creative, <laughs> yeah, it is time for our James Patterson book of the week. Oh man, we have one. Yeah, we have. Okay, one. so okay, so real quick though, um, since you mentioned James Patterson. Um, James Patterson is actually an example of the exact thing I thought everybody was trying to be, which is the author who ends up just being a part of the publishing house. Like when I when I heard like the term house author, I just assumed that meant like the person in-house who then wrote a book and then the house published it and then he got to be like a writer at the publishing house who worked there and like drew a check. Like just this completely nonsensical made-up job. <laughs> except he has it. Like, he has it. Except this is literally his, his job. Imp- he has yeah. imprints. It- He's got all sorts of things. <laughs> so basically my plan for my life at age 22 was to immediately become James Patterson. 
Um, well, and... you blew it with your <laughs> with your little story. I did blow it, yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, please give us the James Patterson Book of the Week. So the James Patterson Book of the Week is uh, another bookshot. <laughs> As always. If you're not familiar, bookshots are um, – we have unofficially termed them on print run – Novellas for men. Yeah, so I wrote one a few episodes back, or I wrote a sample of one, and that's, like, some of the strongest, like, when I think of, like, the feedback we've gotten on the show after each episode, <laughs> the, some of the strongest <laughs> negative feedback we've got was to that bit of writing. Um, I got texts. I got tweets. Like, people were— People, people are mad. People were not happy about the bookshot, and that's fair. Like, honestly, that's—that's fine. So this bookshot, it's uh, it's— an installment of a reoccurring character who I hear is named Owen Taylor. Okay. Okay. Whoever this guy is. Yeah. This is uh, the title of this bookshot mm-hmm. is The End. <laughs> That's the God, title. God damn it. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> which which is um, not only the title of this book, but probably what's at the very end of the book. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. The End. Yeah, spoiler okay. alert, the end. Here's the blurb. Mm-hmm. If the mission fails, it's World War III. Any questions? Yes. Like, (laughs) several. (laughs) I have many questions about this World War III causing mission. Owen Taylor is about to be betrayed on his final covert mission. It will take everything he has to make it home alive and to save the woman he loves. Mm -hmm. That's it. Because it's a bookshot. You only get a little. You you only get a And you only get, like, cliches, I feel like. Yeah. Like, I realize we're, like, kind of breaking character here. Like, the idea is just, like, read these in earnest. But, like, what in the world? Like, we didn't learn anything there other than, like, a few, like, cliched plot-level buzzwords. Here's the thing. I don't believe it's his final covert mission because I bet there's going to be <laughs> oh, another like Owen Taylor book. These. Yeah, this is, like, the next one will be set 15 minutes from now. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, 24. It just, like, keeps going. <laughs> <laughs> Why hasn't someone done that yet? Or they – like, maybe someone has. I'm sure um, – so, yeah, they put it on television. Which – I'm embarrassed for asking this, but some classic novel is set over, like, one day, isn't it? It's, like, some giant book that, like, takes place over, Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It like it's the live? Russian guy, the the One Day in the Life of Ivan Herbert Herbert Herbert. Yeah, that, that's Yeah, good. yeah. So he's in a gulag, and it's yeah. meant to be a slog to read. It's supposed to take yeah. as long right. as it, like, takes you through that painful, day. Yeah. It's kind of like how James Joyce timed... The, That's um, what I was thinking of. Yeah. The, oh, are you thinking? Oh, I was yeah. Thinking so of the Joyce book. So James Joyce in I think Ulysses. Yeah. He he has a his character, um, me like is meandering and like reflecting mm-hmm. on things and walks through Dublin yeah, and yeah. in like it and he James Joyce is very like set in Dublin. Right. You know. And so what James Joyce did is he walked the exact path of the yeah. author or of the character and timed it and spent and like wrote that scene yeah. to take exactly as much time yeah. as yeah. it would take to walk that yeah. to like read yeah. which i think is just overkill and whatever but anyway yeah well, that's good. a little bit of a side but that's wait. your james patterson book of the week it <laughs> comes out um tuesday march 7th so if you're listening to this on the day it's been released it's out today they should be paying us they By should the way, be paying let's look us. into that. Well, technically, James Patterson is paying me because I have a book with James Patterson's <laughs> anyway. imprint. Anyway. anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, so so James, we have questions. Are they enough to buy this book? I don't know. But mm-hmm. World War Three here. Yeah. All right. So that is the James Patterson book of the week. Um, I want to close things out with a publishing tip. Not a writing tip, a publishing tip. Uh-huh. And it is this. Yeah. Write your acknowledgments page early and update it often Hmm. because you don't want to be like have your book be at press or like just come out and you open it up and you realize that like you forgot your first beta reader or that like you didn't put that 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 slaving editorial assistant who did all the work on your book. You only put the acquiring editor. Right. I hated that. As that EA. you weren't in there. Oh my god, I w- I got personally vengeful against every editor or yeah, every author. Yeah, so do I. Didn't put, yeah, so do I. I was a very petty creature. Yeah, I, like that's the first thing I do. I'm like, ooh, who do I know that like worked on this book or like am I in this book? Like that'd be great. Okay, so one more story. One more story. Um, well, no, that that story isn't appropriate. Um, never mind. Uh, <laughs> 
Anyway, back to that pub tip. Yeah. yeah, keep it keep it there because what's going to happen is once you sell your book, out of the blue, the editor is going to come and say, I need your acknowledgments page. Yeah. And you're going to like be reeling and you're not going to know what you're doing and yeah. you're going to be on a timeline and whatever. But if you write it early or just even like keep a list of the people that have helped you on your book or uh-huh. whatever uh-huh. – you will be a happy camper later on. Mm-hmm. So that that is a good gratitude-filled Practice gratitude. Practice gratitude by updating your acknowledgments page. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> right. that has been our 20th episode of Print Run. Wow. Holy cow, number that. 20, and you guys still like us. Uh, remember that this Thursday, March 9th, is our query episode. Our first pages episode goes live March 29th, also a Thursday it's two weeks from now. Um, submit your queries and first pages to us at printrunpodcast at gmail.com, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.